Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the good news according to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching ever given by the smartest man who ever lived. I invite you uh, to pay close attention to all the way through the end of the sermon, uh, because you may, this may not mean what you've heard that it means before. Let's share in God's good word together. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. What not to do? What not to do? The disciples were left, the first eyewitnesses of Jesus were left with these few sayings of Jesus. They didn't have a Bible. The Bible that we had uh, or have doesn't even come around until 325. So they're, they're going to be generation after generation after generation that simply have to live on what Jesus said. Certainly for Gentiles, the, the non-Jews, that's simply what Gentile means. They had to figure out how to live into this resurrection faith and the things that Jesus said to do and not to do. In our tradition, we believe that everything that Jesus says as a command either to do or not to do are known as covered promises, blessings that are the realities that God is trying to bless you, trying to help you, trying to love you into the world that is and is and is to come. So, tonight we come to the conclusion of this four-part series on what not to do. It's good for you. That's why Jesus says it, is because it's good for you. And so tonight we come to uh, perhaps the most popular not, certainly among non-Christians, and that is judge not. Will you say that with me? Judge not. We like that one. Like, hey, don't judge me. I'm do what I want to do. You don't judge me. Jesus said it. So, you know, back up. Judge not. I'm going to go do what I want to do. The, the problem is um, that theologian William Barclay, I think, gets it exactly right. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take them out. And he says this. This is on the quote at the top of your page. The world is full of people who claim the right to be extremely vocal in criticism and extremely exempt from action. It's a really good thing that football doesn't start till next weekend. Right? I mean, I read y'all's Facebook pages. What is OU doing? What is Oklahoma State doing? What is Tulsa doing? You know what's been amazing? Every time I read that, I have never seen that person on the field the next week. <laughs> Ever. They would get drilled. Right? We, is this true? The world is full of people. Full, chock full of people who claim the right to be extremely vocal in criticism about things they could not do themselves. And extremely exempt from action. I'm, I'm not getting out on that field. It'll kill me. Right? But I'm happy to talk about it all day long. Right? So as a way of introduction, when we come to this teaching that Jesus gives, Matthew's gospel speaks to uh, what we know as a post-Easter church. Okay? Matthew isn't written until about 60 to 65 A.D. And so everybody that is receiving this news from Matthew knows the resurrection, and that's about all they know. And so they see it through this lens that, that these things that Jesus says are now possible because of the resurrection in ways that they simply wouldn't have been otherwise. Because Jesus is God himself, because Jesus is who he says he is, because he is the Messiah, all the things that he says you can do, you can do. 
You can learn how to judge not. You can learn how to sin not and fear not and to worry not because God is with you. You're not alone, never alone, not in this world or the next. And, and in the writings of the Jewish tradition, we find lots of sort of exhortations, sort of encouragements around all sorts of things like moderation. Uh, the, the Old Testament is full of things like just be moderate in what you do. Now, be tolerant in what you do. Show mercy. These, these sorts of things are all through the Bible. But when we come to this Greek word, krino, it is without parallel as an absolute prohibition. Krino is the Greek word for judge, uh, which means do not judge, do not condemn, do not be critical of. Don't be a naysayer. Don't be somebody who's always at people, always critical, always picking at people, always looking for the worst in people, always happy to point out the faults in others. That's not allowed in the faith. That's not to happen. Isn't that interesting that you, you, you're, you're encouraged to be moderate, you're encouraged to be tolerant, you're encouraged to have mercy, but under no circumstances are you to condemn others. And that's what Jesus says. And isn't it interesting that this very piece is what Jesus got so upset about with the religious leaders. It was over this issue that Jesus went back and forth with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple priests because they were more than happy to write people off and push them out of the temple. And Jesus said, no, those are my children too. So this word krino is very, very important and it's found all throughout the New Testament. But it is here used as an absolute prohibition against condemning others. Now, what is, what is this about? Well, why, why is this such a big deal? Why would Jesus say something like, do not condemn or be critical of another? Well, the other piece is it's not just post-resurrection, it's post-ascension, right? And it looks like some, something like this. He's like, I'm going to be right back, guys, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm going up and I'm coming back. So when people hear this, they don't think, oh, Jesus is going to come back in 2,000 years. No, they're like, Jesus will come back Thursday. Right? That's what they think, because they've seen him, they've walked with him, they've talked with him. And he says, God, by the way, guys, I'm going to the Father, and, and where I go, you're going to go also. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, and you're going to come be with me. That's what he says. And he says, I'm going to be right back for the final judgment. And they're like, okay. And so imagine, now you see how this changes the frame? They're like, oh, okay, I can judge not until Friday. I, I can sin not until Sunday. I, I can judge not or sin not or worry not or fear not, because he's going to be right back. And because he's going to be right back, there's another piece to this. Jesus says, by the way, guys, how you live your life, I'm going to judge you on that. So however condemning you are to other people, that's how condemning I'm going to be to you. And however compassionate you are to everybody else, that's how compassionate I'm going to be to you. When you show mercy, I'm going to show mercy to you. And by the way, I'm coming right back. He says, so be careful, guys, because your final judgment is near. Now, around here, you might say, oh, well, this is really nice. I'm going to let my foot off the gas. I'm going to relax now. Woo, woo, yay, God, good. Because we know Jesus didn't come back tomorrow. Well, we don't know. But, I mean, he hasn't been back for 2,000 years, so it's not likely, right? I mean, that's how we think. We're Methodists. We're like, it's cool. You know, we don't really have to do anything with this stuff. Except the problem is, Jesus may not come back tomorrow, but you may go to him. And you never know that day either, do we? And if you lived as long as I live, you know, you see people that you know who are younger than you are who get killed in a car wreck like that, who get run over on their motorcycle, who drop dead of a heart attack. It happens. So, so on, the, on the one hand, we want to kind of go back and go, oh, well, it's okay. Jesus hasn't been around for a while, so he's probably not coming back this weekend. 
but you may see him anyway. So it's equally important to us, friends, this teaching that he says, be really careful how you judge others because that's how you're going to be judged. Now, this is where um, this sermon may get a little unpopular, so just kind of hang with me for a second, as if I'm not already there. And, and that is this. It would be re- I would love to give you teaching every week, week in and week out, that whatever I tell you is going to make your life a lot better, and it's, your business is going to grow, and your wife's going to you know, give you smooches, and your kids are going to make A's. That, I would love to do that. You would come back for that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus' teaching here is this, friends. It is not a strategy for success in this life. It's not. Now, that may happen, and that's great and wonderful, and I hope it does, but that's not what this teaching is about. This teaching is about a call to live as a follower of Jesus right now and in the life to come. And that may or may not work out good with your business plan. I don't know. It may blow it up. It may go along. I don't know. That's between you and Jesus to some degree and other people that love you. But, friends, not every sermon, not every teaching of Jesus uh, increases your 401K. It just doesn't work like that. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So the bottom line uh, is this. Mother Teresa, I think, got it right. She says, look, friends, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. You have to choose. It's a choice. You either have to choose to love people or you're going to judge people. You're going to write them off or you're going to bring them in. That's your choice. She's exactly right about that. So we're going to dive into Jesus' teaching now in Matthew 7. He says it very clearly do not judge. Say it with me. Do not judge. The Greek word there is krino and is an absolute prohibition. That is what we're not to do. We're not to condemn people. Uh, to say it differently is this. Thou shalt not size me up and write me off. You, you know how that is. The person walks through and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-mm, right? Like, mm-mm. You know, you see somebody, they're trying to make eye contact. They're like, hey, Pastor Mike. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, no, I'm not dealing with that. You, you know what I'm saying. You size them up, ride them off. And Jesus says, you can't do that. It's not who I am. And then he says this in, in verse 1. Do not judge or what happens? You too will be judged. And by the way, I'm coming back Thursday. Right, this is what he's saying. So it's very poignant to the first hearers of this message. Do not judge or you too will be judged. That's how it works. That's just how it works. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Will you say that with me? Do not judge or you too will be judged. So the next time your spouse is on you about something or your kids are on you about something, you can say this. Don't judge or you too. It's coming back at you. Boomerang. Bam. Like, don't do that to me. Right? You want to say it like, wag your finger with me. Don't judge or you too will be judged. That's what Jesus says. That's how it works. Okay? And, and he, he even um, goes on. There, he says, for in the same way, the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. Now, if you think about this psychologically, you know this is absolutely dead on. Because you can only allow things in your life that you understand and receive or give. And so people who are compassionate receive compassion in their life in ways that people who are not compassionate cannot do it because they don't understand it. They can't receive it. People who are harsh with others expect harshness back in their life and they get it in spades. Happens all the time. This is a truth. This is axiomatic. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Not because God's trying to get you. It's just the case. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's the way it is. Mercy begets mercy. Compassion begets compassion. And so on and so on. So um, let me ask you. If, 
if you know this to be true, and it is, Jesus says it, it's true, and we know this in our own life as we live it out. There have been seasons where we've been generous and generosity seems to follow us. There have been times we've been stingy and it seems like we can't make ends meet. We understand this. Okay? So let me ask you, how do you want to be judged? How do you, how do you want to be judged? Well, I know how I want to be judged. I mean, I'll go first. I want to be judged. Not. I don't want to be judged. Do you want to be judged? No, of course not. And, and if you are going to judge me, I want you to judge me mercifully on the whole of my life. Not in bits and pieces. I want you to look at the whole of it. Well, that's not really true. I want you to look at the good parts. It's really what I want you to do. Right? Because we're all a mixed bag. We, we just are. And some of us, you know, our sin is more public. And others, our sin is more private. Um, and we don't often choose our sin. It's almost like our sin chooses us. It just kind of is there and we have to deal with it. But if, you're, if we're going to be judged, I want to be judged not. So, so this is a little, some snapshots of my life. If you're going to judge me... I want you to judge me like this. Uh, this is me and Carrie Martin, my, my good friend, um, on the second night uh, of my marriage. Uh, this, is in Nash- this is in Tennessee, in Jackson, Tennessee. Um, and he's a good Church of Christ boy. And on the second night of our marriage, Chantel and I uh, had to stop at his house because we were on our way to North Carolina. Um, and so he was kind enough to let us stay the night there. And we got up and we went to the Church of Christ church in the morning. We sang hymns, a cappella. It was beautiful. Now I want you to judge me on that night. Right? I was way out of my comfort zone. I'd never been to a Church of Christ church before. I went with my buddy Carrie. The second night of my marriage, I was a good model for my wife. And I was 23. Who's 23 and dresses up in a suit and goes to Church of Christ on the second day of the marriage? Judge me on that day. Right? Do not judge me on the next day where I am. Um, Chantel's like, hey, let's go to dinner. You know, because we're on the island of Palms. Um, at uh, you know off of Charleston, South Carolina, and we've got this really nice thing, and she's ready to go. She's like, "Let's go," and I'm like, "I'm playing my Game Boy." <laughs> Don't judge me. I'm 23 there, but I was I almost beat the level, you know. So I mean, don't seriously, women, guys, you you know, don't judge me, right? Or you go to the next one, right? Judge me here. I'm, I'm officiating at my best man's wedding. Chantel's by my side. I mean, judge me there. I mean, this was awesome. It was a great wedding. Everybody loved it. It was, it was awesome. So judge me there. Do, do not judge me, right, when, when we have kids, and John Mark does not want me to take his picture under any circumstances, and I do it anyway. He's too cute. I can't stand it. And he's mad at me forever. But don't judge me about that. And he's, cute. he's cute. I wanted to take the picture. He's a cutie. Right? But he, he hates that. He doesn't want to do that. Don't tell him I did this tonight. Right? right? Don't judge me about that. Or, or, or the next one, right? Judge me on all the awards I got in college. Got a lot of awards in college. I uh, did very well. Don't judge me uh, on, my, on my other parenting skills. I sent my kid in pajamas to school. Right? Don't judge me about that. I mean, he's cute, though. Little Noah. It was pajama day. See, don't judge me. You never know the whole story, right? I mean, you have things you want to judge, or you think you can judge, or you think you know the story, you don't know the story. Right, so, so we say, okay, well, we'll judge this, right? Like, oh, well, that'd be great. You know, people in his day, not everybody dug him. And some people don't see him as a hero. I do. I mean, I love Abraham Lincoln. He's like my favorite president ever. It's not true for everybody. Huh? Or, or this. Now, how does Jesus feel about Miley Cyrus? He loves her. He died for her. For God did not send the Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Right? You see, we, we, we don't think of ourselves as judgmental, but there's still these pieces in us, isn't there? You see, you know, you can have the best of both worlds. 
Come on, you Hannah Montana fans, you know that's funny. All right, people change. People change, right? Now think, think about this, friends. Before, we, before you get down on, on Miley Cyrus, right? Hannah Montana, she's like 8 to 15, right? Who doesn't want to be judged 8 to 15? How many of you want to be judged 15 to 25? Any hands? Think about it. Right, before you get off on, on, on beating down on Miley Cyrus, think about you 15 to 25. Right? You have to be careful with this stuff. God loves her as much as he loves you. Loves me. No different. So why do we do it? If this is true, why do we do it? Well, we judge, quite frankly, because we're jealous. We're jealous. I mean, you're at church on Friday night. Other people are at the bar. They're having a good time with their coworkers people and they're getting away with it i mean pastor doesn't even know because he's here preaching i mean like and, and, they're, and they're probably talking about us being at church those goody goodies and you know doing this and doing oh my gosh you know we're jealous they're doing things you, you know we, we have this thing like when somebody makes more money than we do or, or they just have stuff or we see them on vacation on facebook we're like family money you know just just you know just giving give it to them that, you know they don't work hard come on Really? <laughs> I'd do better. Right? And then you go somewhere else, and, and somebody's having a hard time, right? I mean, they're not making much money. They make less money than you do. What do you think? They really should work harder. You know? I mean, I'd help them, but, you know, the whole fish thing about teaching them to fish, I mean, you know, I'd, you know, I would help them. We're jealous for people who have more, have less. If they have more, we think it was given to them. If they have less, we think they're lazy. We're jealous of, of their freedom of time or money or space or whatever it is. We're jealous. It drives us crazy and we judge them to make ourselves feel better. We judge because we're self-righteous. Now, Jesus, you need to know, this is on his naughty list. There's not much that gets under Jesus' skin, but this is the one thing. Because, you see, self-righteousness is bad on a couple of fronts. One, it's just dumb. Because it's ignorant. It is so ignorant, friends. Because to be self-righteous, you know what you have to do? You have to put God down and in a box and hold him there. You can never let perfection out of the box. Because as soon as that's out, then you're in deep weeds. It is ignorant to be self-righteous. Because God alone is righteous. And so what, what self-righteousness does is it, it falsifies us being better than others and keeps God in a box. It's just ignorant. And it's also arrogant. Right? Because now we're saying, well, I'm better than so-and-so. That's how self-righteousness works. Oh, bless her heart. I hear she's struggling. Oh, yeah. They probably played the lottery this week, lost again. Oh, oh I would never do that. You know, because I tithe with my money. I give to the poor. But I'm not giving to them. They'll waste it on scratchers. No, no, no. no. See, so you have to elevate yourself, push the others down. God hates that. He hates it. Not, don't do that, friends. Because you don't want God doing that to you. All right? I mean, you don't want to stand before Jesus. He's like, you know that whole thing about, you know, looking at people's lives? Uh -huh. right? So Jesus said, oh, but, and one more thing. Self-righteous people, let's just put it this way. They're not self-aware. They're just not. And I hope I'm not poking anybody here. But, friends, to be fair, it's just spiritually immature. That's all it is. It's just immaturity. 
Because if you were to talk to the spiritual greats, do you know what they would tell you? When I walk into the light of Christ, I have to hit my knees because of his holiness. When I see me in the light of God and his perfection, I can do nothing but worship him. I'm not putting myself up against anybody when I come to the light of Christ, ever. Mother Teresa, when somebody pushed her about her sin, you know what she said? If they knew me, son, they could say so much worse. That, that's what she said. So Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Oh, by the way, if you're wondering what that is on your bulletin, that's sawdust. Right? That's sawdust. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And the answer is, of course, so that I don't have to deal with what's in mine. Right? And if you ever find yourself beaten on something, if you're just enraged, if you're really upset about some sin in the culture, some sin in your town, some sin in your family... You, you might want to take a look at what's going on in you that you're trying to hide. Because that, that's not the, you know, we're not the first generation to go, look over there, look over there. Don't look at this, don't look at this. You know, we, we want to see other people's sin so we don't have to look at ours. Right? So Jesus says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Now, okay, do you have your sawdust? Hold up your sawdust if you have some. I want to see it. Anybody want to share your sawdust? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see that there. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, hold it. Some sawdust. You got some sawdust I can check out for you? I want to see it. Colin, I want to see your... Okay. Man, where'd that come from? I never saw that there. You see, it's so hard to check other people's sawdust when you have a plank between you and them. It's very difficult to do. Jesus says you can't. It's not possible for me to be of any help to you and your sawdust self with this in front of me, between me and you, in my own eye. Jesus says it like this. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Anybody want me to try to get a speck out with this thing in my hands? The answer is, of course, what? Not well. You can't do it well. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Your own eye. You hypocrite, Jesus says. You see, what you have to do, of course, is you have to take this out and you have to put it down. No longer with you, but at the foot of the cross for Jesus to take it. Then and only then can we begin to help others. Jesus says this, you hypocrite. Now you might say, well, what's a hypocrite? I love the way Andy Stanley put it. I'm so thankful for this series that he did a while back. It's helped me so much because I think he's exactly right about this. He says this, he says, a hypocrite simply this. Somebody who's more fascinated with you know, your issues than mine. Someone who's more interested in your sin than their own. Someone who's more preoccupied with fixing other people than fixing themselves. Oh, you know that person. Maybe we've been that person. No, no, no. You know what I've been doing, Pastor Mark? I've been, I'm praying for this young family that's struggling. I'm praying for that young family that's struggling. And I was talking to my small group about that other family over there. And I was just praying for them. I'm like, so how's your soul? Well, I'm not really, I'm fine. Let's talk about these people. You see, a hypocrite is somebody who's more fascinated with, interested in, preoccupied with fixing other people's problems 
than ever looking at their own soul in the light of Jesus. So the lesson is, of course, what? You all know this. This is an easy one. You've heard this story before. Mind your own business. Period. Dot. Mind your own business. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Mind your own business. Period. Dot. The end. Except let's pray. Let's go home. Woo. Yay. Mind your own business. I'm so glad I went to church. Yeah. Problem. Now, if you, those of you on Facebook, you've seen, and I know, I know the people who post this mean well, but I just got to tell you, it drives me crazy. When people says, don't put a comma where God puts a period. What's that even mean? I mean, I think I know what that means. They mean well to say, you know, God's got it. Don't worry about it. But, but that's not what Jesus does. Look at this. Look what Jesus does. Jesus says this. Don't put a period where God puts a comma. That's what he says. He says this. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite what? Comma. Not a period. Not a period. Whoops. See the comma? See, we had to write it in there. See the comma? Really? First, Jesus says. Now, if Jesus says first, what comes next? Next or second or then. He doesn't say first and that's it. No, he says first, you hypocrite, comma, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then you will. Then you will. And you see, this is where Jesus actually begins the lesson. It's not over. It's just starting. That was the intro. That's the start of the lesson. The start of the lesson is where God puts a comma. Don't mess with it. He's doing something. He wants you to move forward. First, take the plank out of your own eye. That's super important. But then, then you will see clearly remove the speck. That's an expectation, friends. It's not hyperbole. So, Andy Stanley puts it like this. I love it when he does the Dr. Seuss thing. He says this. When I'm tempted to pass judgment upon thee, I should stop and check for traces in me. Absolutely true. Of course. That's right. When I'm tempted to pass judgment upon thee, I should stop and check for traces in me. And when I see that going on, I have the opportunity to learn from your sin, from your mistake. Happens all the time in pastoral ministry. I I do it often at the table with my kids. We'll see something on the news, and um, it'll be a domestic dispute, or drunken driving, or a speed accident, or motorcycle accident. And I will say, you see, son? You saw that. This is why we don't do that. It will kill you. Right? And you learn from the mistakes of others and you grow and your life is better. That's possible with this teaching, but that's not all the teaching. You see, first we must be aware of our own faults. We take the plank, our plank. Do we have a plank? Do you have a plank? The answer is you do. You take the plank, you're aware of your own fault. You give it to God. Because God is God and God loves you and all his children, you receive God's forgiveness, fault down, forgiveness in. Now we're ready to help. Expectation. Expectation. That we will help. That we'll actually transform the world. Not that it's just for our own good. Not that we just learn from those poor so-and-sos that make really bad choices. Which you can do, but that's not the end of the story. And, and so that you see this clearly, we're still in chapter 7, but if you go down the road in chapter 7, still same chapter, Jesus says this. He says, watch out for false prophets. I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Well, 
Still, there are false prophets out there. Get the plank out of your eye, he says, because false prophets are all around you. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Watch out for them. Don't be silly. Don't check your brains at the door. Get the plank out of your eye, but be smart because you can get eaten out in this world. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Even in Edmund. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No, of course not. Figs from thistles? No, of course not. Likewise, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit. But a bad tree? Bad fruit. So, seriously, young women dating, if your mom and dad don't like a boy, there's a reason. Don't date them. That's wisdom. They're not trying to bust your chill. They're trying to save your life. Right? Hey, that's kind of hip. You're laughing at me on the front row. That was a little hip. Right? I know I'm old. I'm 47. It's okay. I don't have girls. Say, say what works. Right? But the thing is, there's, there's a difference between wisdom and judgment. It's not condemning. You're not condemning the bad boy. I mean, he's going to kill himself anyway in some way on a motorcycle or drugs or whatever. And, and that's true. But you don't have to sacrifice your sons and daughters to, to badness. Jesus isn't asking you to do that. He's asking you to be smart, recognizing your own sin, and being of help. So that when your son or daughter is out, or maybe you're out with your spouse or someone else, and they've had too much to drink, you don't ride home with them. You don't check your brain at the door about that. You drive them home. You take care of them. You help them get home. Or you say, you stay here. I'm going home. You're not condemning them. You get them to an AA group or you, you help them get into rehab or whatever you need to do. You're not, you're not being foolish, friends. Jesus, we need to make sure that we never make Jesus foolish. That's not what he's saying. And, and this is the point. That following Jesus never, never, friends, ends with what's in it for me. Ever. That's not who Jesus is. Even God himself lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Andy Stanley would put it this way. He says, judge not, but do not stop there. Love requires more than that, friends. Judge not. That's true, but do not stop there. There's more to the lesson, friends. It's more than simply leaving people alone. Because what's the result of leaving people alone? They're alone. And Jesus and God say, it is not good. For my children to be alone. Our faith has to be more than leave them alone. Right? Now, I know your objection. You've already got it loaded. You've heard it since you look at, but that's so judgmental. No, it's not. It's called love. With limits. Because you love people, you care for them, and you're not going to stand idly by while they walk off a cliff. You know, love and hate aren't opposites. The opposite of love is indifference. And if you're not careful, you can use this scripture to get yourself to indifference, which is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, love one another. That's his new command. He says, I have a new command for you. Love one another as I have loved you, gave my life for you. Judge not, friends, does not equate to care not. It doesn't equate to act not or react not or mind my own business. It's much bigger than that. You see, love forbids me to size you up and write you off. Mm-hmm, mm-mm. It's more than that. It's more than that. And love forbids me to size you up and simply go, oh, you're a mess, walk away. It's more than that. It's more than that. And friends, I am not beating on you. I live these all the time. The more you know people, the better you read people, the harder it is not to walk away because you know the pain is coming. It's just That's true. 
And the Lord asks us to stand in, in love, confront, really, confront. Matthew 18, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we've only got 10 chapters left after that at 18. It goes to 28. This is what Jesus says. If another member of the church, now again, there's no separation of church and state, so anybody that's in the group, anybody that you're in a relationship with, another member of the church sins against you. Right? This isn't just willy-nilly, but this is about relationship. If that relationship breaks, are you supposed to just walk away? No. Are you supposed to write them off? No. What's Jesus say? He says, when the two of you are alone, you're not shaming them, you're not guilting them, and you're not, you're, not, you're not rolling them out in front of all your friends, you go to them privately and you say, you know, I feel like our relationship's broken. What, what do we need to do about that? Do I need to say I'm sorry or, or I forgive you? I mean, where, where are we? And if the member listens to you, you've regained that one. What's the point of doing this? What's the point of confrontation? To poke them? No. To hurt them? No. To regain the relationship. Reconciliation. And friends, I, I'm telling you, the church is about the only place I see in our society that even tries at this anymore. I mean, think about it. Think about any other place in your life where people take this seriously and actually try to stay in relationship with each other. In any other organization, in any other culture, in any other way. Jesus is absolutely serious about this. So to put it this way, Jesus on judging boils down to this. Take the plank out of your eye in preparation for removing the speck from your brother's eye. That's why you remove the plank. So that you can actually help your brother. Any of y'all ever gotten something in your eye? It's brutal. I mean, I think Jesus used this metaphor for a reason because it's awful. It's having a splinter driven into your eye. It hurts so bad. And if you have just an ounce of mercy, an ounce of compassion, you would never leave that in someone's eye. I mean, that's just mean. And you walk away. No, 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 no. I I was so interested in this that I I called up an ophthalmologist this afternoon. And I said, what do you do if someone has something in their eye? If they they really were to have sawdust in their eye. Uh, and, And he said to me, Jonathan Perkins, he's a member of our church. He said, well, you would first, you would irrigate it. And I thought, man, that is beautiful. Because you know what we do at church with our specks is we wash them away in baptism. When, when people need help and love, you don't poke it out of them. That's dangerous and bad for them. You wash it out of them. You irrigate it gently. You wash and you hope and you pray that that water is just going to carry that out and they're going to see again. They're really going to see again. But you know, Jonathan said that doesn't always happen. When somebody gets sawdust in their eye, it's really bad for a couple of reasons. One is it's organic material, and it carries fungus, and they'll get a fungal infection. And if you don't get that out, they're going to lose their eye. They're not going to be able to see. I said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I get the smallest instrument I can, and I'm very, very careful, and I'm very, very gentle, and I make sure that they don't move. And, I, and we, we, we wash as much as we can, but if it just won't come out, you know, it's like a splinter. It has to come out the same way that it went in, and you have to really study it, and you have to be really careful, and you have to be really thoughtful, and you take the smallest needle you can find, and, and, you know, and I try to make very, very careful that I barely take the tiniest forceps that you can almost never see and just barely pull it out. Now, friends, you will never confront perfectly but most of the reason our confrontations don't go well is we don't take that kind of care with the other person. A long time, study, thoughtfulness, prayer, washing, prayer, kindness, prayer, soothing, prayer, removal under God's direction. 
So friends, there are action steps for three audiences here tonight. You may be one of them. You may be all three. I'm all three. Okay? You may be here tonight, and you size people up, and you write them off. So if the sin of others doesn't break your heart, friends, it's probably because your heart has never been broken over your own sin. And that's just, I mean, that's harsh, but that's the brutal truth of it. Is, is that you've never really understood the holiness of God to where you're like, oh my goodness, I really, I've never, or maybe you've never been extended grace. You don't even know it's possible. You don't know that Jesus really does love you. And you're still so caught up in that denial thing that you're, you're more than happy to point at everybody else around you because you cannot stand for it to come to you. You're just not that brave yet. And friends, if that's you, I want to beg you to repent, to turn your life towards God and to say, God, that's me. That's me. I need your help. The, the other audience is you size people up and you walk away. You walk away. And, and, and I, I love this. If you put your plank down, you can see clearly now the plank is gone. Oh, now you'll hear it. You can see clearly now the plank is gone. You can do it. The younger people have no idea what I'm just doing right there. It's so awful. Okay, and three, right? You've been sized up, and it's truth, but you refuse to listen. You just refuse to listen. Someone said to you, you know, I, n- I noticed that your car was removed from your, your, you know, your driveway last night, and uh, there weren't robbers. I mean, they had, you know, looks like you got repoed. You okay? You all right? You still gambling? You see, and the defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. Don't talk to me about that. Okay, you'll lose your house next. That's what happens. You know, did, did, you, did you ever talk to your wife about, your ex-wife, about going to the wedding of your daughter? Well, no, I didn't, you know, I just, I'm not going to do that. Well, you might want to think about it because otherwise, wedding day, your past is going to show up in your future and it's going to hit you sideways. It just is. You thought about that? You don't want to try to work that out day of the wedding. Right? You might want to have a conversation before that. That's what a loving person would say. If they cared about that person. Does this make sense? You love them. You're trying to care for them. You're helping. You're trying to, to you know, get the chaos down a level. So, if this is you, friends. If you size people up and write them off, be really brave. I want to pray for you. I'll pray for all of us at the end. Is that you? Anybody that? You still struggle with that? You're a long-time church person? Yeah, the longer we're in church, we struggle with this, isn't it? It's like, yeah. God bless them, hope it works out. That's just part of us, right? Right? I'm, I, I can be in there, right? Number two, any, anybody the number two, right? Right? Keep going. We, we need to repent. Number two, you size people up and walk away. This gets harder and harder. This is me. This is absolutely me. I look at somebody and I'm like, oh, man, that's more therapy than I got in me. Right? I'm like, uh. They following me, honey? Uh, yeah. right? I mean, this is, this is a real temptation. I don't like to confront that God calls us love one another. And, by the way, friends, you need to understand this. This is not about me confronting you. When Jesus is talking about one anothering each other, it's you all. It's brothers and sisters. It's not pastor on the flock. It's not me and Andy confronting you. It's you all in your small groups, you all at the soccer field, you all at the football field. And if you can't work it out, then come see Andy and me. We should never be the first line. We should be like second, third, or fourth line, right? This is about people confronting each other that know each other well in each other's lives. And thirdly, you've been sized up and you refuse to listen. 
Someone's told you some things you know are true, but you're, you're still in denial. Friends, for your sake, for God's sake, listen. Listen. And it doesn't have to be some big dramatic story. You know, I mean, I'm in that category too, right? Your financial planner said, hey, you know, you might want to put something back for retirement. Listen. Listen. Jesus is speaking to all of us in this lesson. And friends, these are things not to do. Why? Because they're good for you. All of them. God is trying to help you. 